You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Good morning. Uh, as, uh, as was mentioned, my name is Kai, and I am, uh, oh, I guess ushers are coming forward right now. They've got Bibles in their hands. If you uh, need a Bible this morning, if you throw your hand up, <clears throat> grab one of these Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of these. Um, if you don't own a Bible, just take one of these as yours. I'm giving stuff away. I don't even go here. I'm just giving stuff away, right? Um, but grab one of these Bibles. Why don't you go ahead right now and go to Judges chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. Judges chapter 7. And as you're turning there, um, as I mentioned, my, my name is Kai. Uh, my wife, Libby, um, and my three daughters are still back in Ontario. Um, they weren't able to make this trip out, but hopefully I can come back again. Um, super thankful to be here. <clears throat> Our church, um, like your church, we started with just a handful of people. Um, meeting in a living room, praying, God, what could you do in our community? Um, Lord, Lord, what, what, what could you do with just a handful of people with, with no idea what we're doing, but we want to just serve you and seek you, and God has done um, far beyond what we ever hoped or imagined. Um, at the moment right now in, in our little towns, uh, Muskoka is a group of towns, and um, we wanted, had a desire, we want to reach each one of these small towns that make up this area of Muskoka. And so um, started as a church that grew, and eventually, by God's grace, where we're at now is um, we are all still together as, as one mission and one um, unifying group, but we have three church locations now. Um, not, not big churches, but three churches, each in their own community, um, doing a work ministering where God has us, and we're excited to see what God has moving forward. We're excited to be partnered with churches like you guys. Um, super appreciate your pastor. I know you guys do as well. I'm so thankful for Pastor Melvin and just his heart for mission. Like, did you guys like just, do you guys have like hashtag sayings and everything, right? Like, mission moves on, whatever, right? That's so good. And to just have that kind of passion and heart to say, hey, we're just going to sacrifice it all for the mission God's called us to and see what God can do in it. I'm just so excited for that. In fact, before we jump into the word, just um, thinking about what that looks like to be on mission. And, and, and for us, where, where we are, as we start as a little small group of people and, and, and just, Lord, what can you do? And it got me, got me thinking as I think about churches getting started and churches reaching out and churches going out into the community to, to, to go forward with the mission that God's called us to. And, and you think about the, the, the greatest underdog stories of all time. I don't know, I grew up as a kid in the 80s, so, so I mean, I'm thinking Karate Kid, I'm thinking Hoosiers, right? That those are great, but, but by far, by far, none of them comes close to the masterpiece that is the Rocky franchise, am I right? All right? Rocky V, forget that one, that was a horrible movie, but the rest of them, right, just phenomenal. And you think of Rocky IV, right, where, where Rocky Balboa going up against this machine of a man, right, Ivan Drago. Remember, remember, he was just this, this huge, he'd already killed Apollo Creed in the ring, boxing against him, and now, now Rocky's up against this unbeatable giant. Actually, in the movie, he's up against the whole communist regime, right? It's like, Rocky's going to take down Russia, like that's what it was, right? And, 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 and you get all fired up when Rocky steps into the ring. If you see this movie, you get what I'm going. He steps into the ring, remember what Drago says to him? He goes, I must break you, right? And then Rocky turns and goes, go for it. And you're like, What? Like, if it doesn't light you up, you, you don't have an on switch, right? Like, you get fired up by stuff like that because why? We love underdog stories. And I think we love stories like that because underdog stories give us hope. I mean, if a person can fight against all those odds, maybe I can too. And so we come to Judges chapter 7 this morning, the story of Gideon. And, and, and if you know the story of Gideon, your, your, your mind is already moving towards that. I, mean, I remember Gideon was an underdog. My, my, I'm cheering for Gideon. He's the guy. He's the one I'm leaning into. He's the one I'm cheering for. But, but here's the thing about the story of Gideon. 
He's not a typical underdog story. Gideon doesn't fit the motif of a Rocky versus Drago. The story actually would be more like if it was a toddler fighting Drago. Right, which make a horrible movie. Nobody wants to see that, right? This large boxer beating up a toddler. But, but that's honestly what it is. And, and so you, you watching the story of Gideon play out, as you see it play out, you, you aren't really cheering for Gideon because you don't have hope that he'll ever do anything. He, he, he isn't the kind of hero that we would, we would hitch our hope to. He, he's so crazy outmatched. He's, he's scared. He's small. He's unsure. He's fearful. He's doubting. And the plan that God lays out for Gideon that we're going to see this morning from the text, it is so ridiculous, but he has a plan for Gideon. And listen, this morning for you, as a Christ follower, God has a plan for you as well. In Ephesians 2.10, I love that verse where it says that if, if you're following Christ, like he has plans for you that he's had already laid out before you were even born, before creation. God had these plans laid out for you. What you see in the life of Gideon is that, that, that God doesn't call you because you're so equipped. God isn't calling you to the mission of the gospel because you're so put together, because you have so many gifts to offer. The story of Gideon actually isn't the story of Gideon as the hero at all. Your life on mission for God is not a story about how amazing that you are. But listen, here's what we're going to see throughout this, this morning, that God does his best work through humble people who step out in faith. God just does his best work through humble people who step out in faith. And it's the pattern all through scripture and all through history. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point this morning we've got as we jump into Judges here this morning. And you're going to see this truth played out. And the first point is this, that God uses us greatly by bringing us low. God uses us greatly by bringing us low. God knows that, that if he's going to use us for great things, if, he's going to, if we're going to step out to, to do these things that are beyond our grasp, we're going, to be need, we're going to need to be clinging tightly to him to seek his power, to seek his wisdom, to seek his ways. And so, so if, if that's the truth, listen, listen, if you're so sure of yourself, if you're so sure, man, I'm God's gift to the world, you won't reach out to him with that kind of desperation. Only those who see their state, see who they are, see their weakness compared to the task, see who they are, they, they reach out in desperation for salvation. And God does his greatest work in people like that. God does his greatest work in churches that understand that we're filled right here with, with people who are broken, blind, lost, in need of a savior. I had a friend who I was talking with who doesn't, uh, doesn't follow Jesus at all. He, he said to me this, he said, he said Kai, I, my problem with Christianity is this. You guys use Jesus like a crutch. I'm like, we do not use Jesus like a crutch. He is a stretcher. A crutch gives the idea that I, I'm still doing something. Like, like, I've got nothing outside of Jesus. He's everything. There's, there's nothing I'm adding to this. And, and so the, the mission of the church, what we're called to as the gathered church here, is this mission of busted up people pointing each other to our only hope, which is Jesus. So what, what would stop the story, the story after story that, that's already being told, that God's already using hope, Kelowna for? What would stop God at work here at hope? What, what would stop God from using you greatly? It's when we forget our desperate need to reach out for his power, his grace. And when you think about it, what, what do we actually bring to the table? As, as we come to this mission, what do we bring to the table? Well, I, I know my Bible so, so well. I, I, 
I've lived a righteous life. I'm I'm a perfect, our family's perfect. Have you seen our kids? They're amazing, right? I'm a a great leader. I'm so much better than those other sinful people that come to this church or or those people who go to other churches who don't go to church. Listen, listen, it's not until we're humble and broken that God can begin to do something great. Again, God does his best work through humble people who step out in faith. So in this text here, God God had used the Midianites to come in and and really begin to humble his people. Um, You see this cycle all through the book of Judges where where God's people say, we want to follow you, Lord, we need you, and and God blesses them, and then eventually they start to walk away and look away and think they've got it all on their own, and then God sends trials in, and and other nations come in, they're humbled again. And so here we are in Gideon, in in Judges chapter 7, and God used the Midianites to come in and discipline his people. And they humble themselves saying, God, we need your help. And, and God calls Gideon and says, Gideon, I want you to lead this rescue plan. So if you get your Bibles open, look at verse 1. It says that Drubel, that is Gideon, that was his nickname. The, the Hebrew um, translation of that is um, Baal butt kicker. That's, that's the general. So basically that's, that's his nickname is he's coming in to, to, to clean house of the gods of Baal. And, and it says, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Now, it's interesting in that, in that verse there, it says they, they camped beside this spring called Herod. And, and the, the Herod, it actually means trembling or fear. So he takes them first. Hey, I'm going to use you greatly. Let, let's camp out here first. This is where I want to lead you to this place of trembling or fear. This, this picture really of where they were. They've been living in fear for years, trembling, hiding out, and now God starts them saying, you're, I'm going to use you greatly, Gideon, but you're going to start here. I want you to know where you're beginning from. You're starting from this place of fear. God, in his grace, so often will bring you to that place of, of your fear and go, here, I want you to see clearly. He'll put you in those places where you're so far over your head, where you're saying, Jesus, if you don't show up, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And, and by God's grace, he'll, he'll expose fear. By God's grace, listen, he'll expose sin and pride. He'll lead you to your spring of Herod. Not to beat you down, not to beat you down, but, but in a way to show you where your only source of hope is, this, this humble dependence on him alone. So here we have Gideon's army. Army of about 32,000 scared men going against this massive army of the Midianites. We're going to read later in chapter 7 where it says that they had so many camels that their camels were like grains of sand on a seashore. So let's keep going on. Verse chapter 2, it says this, or verse 2 says, The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. I'm like, what? What do you mean too many? It's already like, like worse than Rocky versus Drago. It's, it's 32,000 against hundreds of thousands. Like, like, God, you've got this wrong. You, you mean we're too small for you to do this. And God's saying, no, no, your army is too big for victory. Now, why would he say that? Well, look what the verse says. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Listen what he says. Lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has delivered me, has saved me. God's saying this, I'm reducing your army so I get the glory. So, so you don't think, you, you don't get the wrong idea that it was your power or your skill that accomplished this. So he reduces Gideon's army. Look at verse 3. It says, now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. 
What's God saying? He's saying, listen, if, if you're too scared to trust me, if you're too scared to put your faith in what I've got planned for you, you can go home right now. I mean, what's God saying there? He, he's really saying this, to, to live your life on mission, it's going to take some courage. It, it's going to take courage to, to live for Christ in your workplace. It's going to take courage to live for Christ at your school. It's going to take courage as a church to, to reach beyond your grasp. And, and, and there are these times where we have these fears, these, these what I would call horizontal fears, because a biblical definition of courage that I would say would be this, would be courage is just fear redirected. This is what I mean. In, in humility, it's taking, I've got these horizontal fears. As I look around me, I see all the stuff that could go wrong. I could, see, I could see people that would say things against me. I could see me not having the, the, the right answer to give. I could see the, the danger. I could see the risk that I'm taking and look around. And, and to reorient that fear is take the horizontal fears and raise them vertically. Say, Lord, I see you high and lifted up. I see you are so much greater than any of these horizontal fears. Like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, where we'd fall down on our face before God and all the other fears would seem so small in light of an awesome holy God. Now God's not done yet in making Gideon small. Look at verse 4, he continues on. The Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too, too many. Take them down to the water and I'll test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. And the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go, every man to his home. So what's the first thing we see here? The first thing we see here is this, that God loves dogs more than cats. Okay, so we got that out of the way. I mean, that's obvious, right? Um, no, here, what's going on here? What God's doing here, he's making this statement. He's saying, if it's 300 people against hundreds of thousands of trained warriors... Only God can do this. You see what, what God's doing here in Judges 7, and, and a great question to ask yourself is this, God, God what are ways you're reducing me to make me more useful? I mean, if, if faith and dependence on God is so important to be used by him, then, then wouldn't weakness and, and brokenness be an advantage? So again, what are the ways you see in your life even right now? Man, I think God's bringing me low. Is there some area in your life where you cling to, to, you cling to this thing for significance, to a job, to a title, to, to status, to, to, to what people think about you? You cling to that for significance, and God's at work saying, no, this has to be dealt with. I need, I need to reduce your army. Maybe you're clinging to things for security, your health, your family, your relationships, your finance, and you're seeing that God is at work right now reducing that army. Or maybe there's something in your life that you, you go after for satisfaction. Maybe a sin that you repeatedly go back to and God's at work saying, no, I, I'm, I'm pulling that away from you. I'm, I'm not making that satisfy you anymore because I'm reducing your army. I mean, what, what so often keeps us from experiencing God's power and presence is that, that we feel like we have all the resources we need and we actually don't need the Lord. So here, here's what's amazing about that, that trial in your life that you're going through right now, it may just be God reducing your army. 
It's so important because your strengths are potentially more dangerous to you than your weaknesses because your strengths keep you from humbly hoping in God's grace and his mercy alone. To be used by God means this. You, you come to this point where, where you realize how absolutely powerless you are and you run to God for hope. You run to God for mercy. In 2 Peter 5, 6 says it this way. It says that, that we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and in due season in his time, in proper time, he'll lift you up. So you, that picture of God's hand pressing you down. But so often, here, here's the picture I get when God pushes me down. Have you ever tried to push a beach ball underwater? And how, how, how that is like... Right, it flies up. I, I kind of get that picture in my mind though when God's saying, I'm pressing you, I'm, I'm reducing your army, I'm, I'm pressing in on an, uh, uh, an idol of your heart right now. And he pushes down. What do we do? We, we kind of squeak out. We squeak out in fear or in covetousness. And God's saying, No, stay low. Stay low. Trust me. See me. In Colossians 2, it says that the way you started your journey with Christ is the way you're supposed to walk the journey every day. And think about that. It, when you came to Christ, how did you come to Christ? The Bible would say you came dead in your sin. You, you came naked and lost. You came as a total nobody. You, you lay your life down at the cross and you trust Jesus with your eternity. You, you, we bring nothing to the table. All we bring to the table is, Jesus, all I have is my sin. And Jesus says, I'll take that and I'll give you my righteousness. That's how we begin the journey with Jesus. Listen, it's how we walk it out every day because God does his best work through humble people who step out faithfully. Listen, that's how God will use you as a parent. It's not your awesome parenting skills. Like, for sure, read books and, and, and learn about what it is to have, have a good gospel parenting in your home. But, but it isn't this, this, if I'm a perfect parent, I have perfect kids. No, what, what, what our kids need most in our, to see in their parents are parents who are just humbly broken, trusting God for their hope in life. Pointing them to grace every day. It's how God will use you in your marriage. It's how he'll use you as a witness throughout Kelowna. It's how he'll use you as a change agent wherever he's placed you on mission. And you might say, well, okay, that sounds great, but man, I don't know. Like, it, like it, it sounds good to say that in my weakness, God can use me, but I, I'm too old to be used. Or maybe you say, I'm too young to be used. I'm, I'm too small. I, I'm too inadequate. I, I, my, my gifts are too insignificant. Like, like what possible use could God use for me in the kingdom, in the mission he's called us to? And I love what the missionary Hudson Taylor said. He said it this way. He said, all God's giants have been weak people who did great things for God because they trusted on God being with them. All of God's giants have been weak people who did great things because they trusted that God was with them. And that's what God wanted in Gideon. That's what God's looking for in you. Not, not a great warrior of God, but, but weak women, weak men, weak young people clinging to a great God. Where you're so aware of just how, how, how lost you are without Christ. So aware of your weakness, but listen, listen, so confident in God's grace. Being weak and humble doesn't mean you walk around, oh, I can't do anything. No, no, it means you're like, in and of me, no, but man, isn't God awesome? Look what Jesus can accomplish. We see this pattern all through scripture where God chooses the ones you wouldn't think he would choose. You've got David, this scrawny little shepherd boy playing a harp and he's going into battle. Like no offense to worship leaders, but if I'm going into battle, I don't want the guy in skinny jeans and a deep V-neck shirt saying, let's go into battle, right? No, I'm just not, not Brett, he's huge, right? I, I take Brett. 
But what happens? David goes as this scrawny little kid, goes and defeats the giant with a slingshot when, when, when an army of trained soldiers watch from the sidelines scared. Only God can do that. Over and over again, God, God chooses the most unlikely. You think about it, like Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar. Leah wasn't very good looking. Moses couldn't speak well. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah battled depression. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist ate bugs, wore very weird clothes, right? Ultimately, though, all of that, all of Scripture pointing to Jesus as, as our example in this. Jesus doing the lowest job of washing the disciples' feet. He goes through a trial where he's mocked and he's beaten and he's spit on and it seems like he's not even able to defend himself. So weak after all the trials and all the beatings, he can't even carry his cross. He, he dies naked with his arms outstretched on a cross. The ultimate picture, ultimate picture of weakness. But, but through that, God brings about a resurrection. Jesus conquers sin and death. It's the pattern. We humbly obey God brings power. You faithfully obey God in your weakness and you keep sharing Christ. You, you, you keep parenting and leading your kids. You, you, you refuse to give up praying for that prodigal child. You, you forgive those who hurt you and God sends a miracle. God uses us by bringing us low. Here's our second point this morning. It's this. God uses us greatly when we step out in faithful obedience. God brings us low. Second, this is this, God, God uses us when we step out in faithful obedience. Again, he's not sending these, this miraculous, doing this, these things through mighty men and women. He's, he's doing it through humble men and women. Listen, not just humble, but also step out in faith. Look at verse 9. It says, So the people took provisions into their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And the same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I've given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hand shall be strengthened to go against the camp. I mean, I love that. I love how gracious God is there. He sees Gideon's fear, and God doesn't come and, and, and blast him for his fear. He sees Gideon's fear, and he comes to encourage him. He says, Gideon, let me embolden your faith here. I didn't get that. Oh. Good, Siri's paying attention too. That's great. <laughs> Hopefully she gets saved this morning. So in his encouragement, though, God's saying, hey, Gideon, I know you're afraid. Let, let me encourage you so you can step out in faith. Gideon, let me, let me build your faith. So what does he say? He says, I want you to, here's the step of faith. I want you to go down to the enemy camp tonight. Like, can you imagine being Gideon? Uh, can we try something else? Like, do you have another way of, of, of boosting my faith? I tell you what, God, um, I've done this before. How about, I, how about this time I lay my servant on the ground and, then, and if he's wet and the ground's dry, then I'll know, right? And Pierre's like, I'm already wet. I've wet my robe. Are you kidding me? We've got to go into the enemy camp, Right? It's how God builds your faith, though, as you step out in faith, as you take this risk. And I wonder how often we lack an assurance of God's presence because we never take that risk to, to step out. We never do that bold thing in obedience. We never step out in faith to find him there. Listen, God will develop your faith as you take the risk, as you step out in faithful obedience. Psalm 119, 105 says that God's word is a lamp unto my feet. The part of that verse I don't like is that it's just a lamp under my feet. 
Like I, like I wish it said God's word is a lamp to show you the whole journey that you're going to take with the Lord. But, but it's, it's just this, this idea of where, where we step out in faith and as we move, it lights up. I, mean, I think of it this way, it's kind of like the headlights of your car. If you're out for the evening and you've got to drive home that night and you turn your headlights on, they don't shine all the way to your house. They, they shine about 100 yards ahead. And as you drive, as you move, you, you light up the next 100 yards. And, and I think it's the same with God. As we continue to move out in faith, take that next little step. And as we step out, God reveals the next step to take. And all the while, God growing our faith. Let's look at verse 11. They go down into the camp, it says. They went down with... He went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. Their camels were without number as the sand that was on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down. So the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, there is no one other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. So again, God is going to use Gideon greatly, but I would say don't even miss the humor of the imagery here. The picture he uses, where they're having this dream at night and Gideon's overhearing the dream they're having, the picture is that Gideon's coming to strike the Midianites. Now, if I'm Gideon, I'm hearing that dream going, God, you could have made the dream a little more dramatic. Like, could it have been like an eagle who swooped in? Couldn't they have dreamed that it was like a lightning bolt that struck? Like, and God's like, no, no, you're going to be a gluten-free dinner roll. <laughs> God uses just your humble and faithful obedience. And so Gideon steps out in faith. He, he takes the risk. He, he leads with the confidence of the Lord. Look at verse 15. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. Like, God, you, you've got this. God, you are awesome. Returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And listen, if you know the story of Gideon, if you'd read chapter 6, you would know this was not how Gideon normally responded. Gideon was a guy who was hiding out in fear, but now, stepping out in faith, his faith is growing. He comes up with a plan. Look at verse 16. Here's the plan. He divided the 300 men into three companies. He put trumpets in the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. And when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Did you catch that plan? What's missing from that plan? There's no swords mentioned. There's no weapons. The, the weapons are, okay, grab a torch, a trumpet, and a clay jar. So I'm picturing this God saying, okay, I want to reduce your army, and here's a Nerf gun. Like, everything just keeps getting, getting crazier and crazier. Look at verse 19, how it plays out. So Gideon and 100 men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp. At the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch, and they blew their trumpets and smashed their jars that were in their hands. When, then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke, their, broke the jars. They held in their hands the torches and the right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. And they cried, and they fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword, the Midianites, every man's sword against his comrade, against the army. And the army fled as far as Beshtah, towards Zerah, to the border of some other places there that I can't pronounce. 
So what's going on here? Why, why the mayhem? What's happening? Well, here's what's going on. A, a torch, as they, as they circle around the, the camp, the, the torches, usually a torch lit would, would signify a battalion of soldiers. So they spread all around the valley. In, in the middle of the night, it says at the middle watch, so about 10 p.m., a third of the Midianites would have been coming back from, from doing their night watch, while a third of them would have been coming out to replace them, and a third of them are sleeping. Gideon's men blow the trumpets, smash the jars, torches appear. They've already, the Lord's put this fear into the Midianites' hearts that they're going to be destroyed by Gideon. They see all of this, and there's mayhem that, that scares these guys. And the, the ones who are, are leaving see the ones coming. They think they're Gideon's men, so they start killing them. The ones wake up, they're freaking out. Everybody's killing each other. And Gideon and his men do nothing. They stood there like the sound and light technicians of, of, of this dramatic show of God's power. Listen, that same power that's at work in Gideon is still at work today. That God loves using weak, humble people who step out in faithful obedience, not people who come all together, not people who have everything figured out. Listen, you don't come to Jesus all put together. You come broken, and he's the one who does the work. So again, what, what would stop God from working in, in, in this church? What would stop God from working in your marriage, in your life, in your family? It's not your weakness that'll stop God, but it's our lack of stepping out in that weakness. I mean, you think about the army that he used here, not, not the, the brightest, not the best. The only real, real skill that these 300 guys had is they could break a clay jar. They could hold the torch, they could shout, and they knew how to blow a trumpet. Like, not exactly special forces material, right? What are we learning? What are we learning? We're seeing here that God does his best work through humble people who step out, not in strength, but who step out in faith. I think of it this way. If you remember the account of Peter when he jumped out of the boat in Matthew 14 to walk on the water with Jesus... Right, Jesus had told them, hey, go sail to the other side of, of the Sea of Galilee. And, and, and as they row out late that night, a huge storm comes. And in the middle of the storm, Jesus shows up walking on the water. And then they're like, who is it? Is it a ghost? And someone says, no, I think it's Jesus. So Peter yells out, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out onto the water. Jesus, come on out. Can you imagine the faith it took Peter to throw his leg over the edge of the boat and to step out onto the water? And what's Peter yelling? He's yelling, Jesus, if you're real, I'm going to trust you with my life. At the moment you began following Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, was that not what you were saying? Jesus, if you're real, I'm going to trust you with my eternity. I'm going to follow you with everything. I mean, how much did you need Jesus in that moment? How, how much did Peter need the power of Christ in that moment that he, that he made that choice to jump out of the boat? Because listen, Jesus didn't do that whole peace be still thing in this one, right? The storm is raging. And he tells Peter, come on out in the storm. Peter leaps out of the boat, huge faith, huge need of Jesus. I, I, I can just picture Peter jumping out. The other disciples like, what? Go, Peter. That's incredible. This is amazing. Look what Jesus has done in Peter's life. And, and then what happens, if you know the story? Peter's now, he's out of the boat. He looks around. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. There's a storm going on here. There's, there's waves. People don't walk on water. And he doubts. He doubts the call of Jesus. It's not just so much that he's doubting his own ability. He doubts that Jesus says, come on out. And he starts to sink. And in that moment, as he's sinking, he cries out, Lord, save me. And, and Jesus calls back to Peter, Peter, swim harder. 
Peter, your, your water walking skills are horrible. Are you goofy or are you regular? Because you feel like, I... no. He didn't say, Peter, that's your lame prayer? You didn't even quote scripture. You didn't, you didn't pray a long prayer. No, what, what happens when Peter says, Lord, save me? It says in the text, it says, immediately, immediately Jesus reached out his hand to rescue him, gets him into the boat, and then he asks this unbelievable question. He says to Peter, Peter, why'd you have such little faith? Why'd you doubt? Now, I thought Peter had huge faith to jump out of the boat, to, to respond to that call to come. But listen, listen, he needed the same faith to keep walking. Because when, when Peter jumped out of the boat, he wasn't so much, so much walking on water. He, he, was, he was actually walking on the promises of God. He wasn't standing on the waves. He was standing on the very character of Christ. And so when he took his eyes off the promise and the character of God, he sank. Listen, Hope Church, for us today, we have to keep our eyes focused. This morning, are you looking more to your strengths, to your abilities? Do you look at the size of the task and the storm that's out there? Do you look at the difficulty of the mission you've been called to? We need to take our eyes off of that and put our eyes back on him. Because the, the account of Peter walking on the water is not a story for us to think how amazing Peter is. The story of Gideon is not to lift up Gideon as a, as a hero. It's to remind us this, we have a savior who we can faithfully trust. And think about what we know on, on this side of the cross that they didn't know on the other side of the cross. Like this morning, as, as we, when we end here, we're, we're going to celebrate communion together. So, so think about what you know as you celebrate the Lord's Supper, as you, as you celebrate what the cross is, that, that, wait a minute, Jesus just didn't come into a storm. No, he embraced the, the total storm of God's wrath for us. He didn't just conquer an enemy. Jesus conquered sin and death and Satan and ourself. Filled us with the power of resurrection life. And listen, if the cross, if all of that is true, Scripture says he did that while we were his enemies. I mean, certainly he's reaching out to help now that you're his child. If, if God would go through those lengths to save you, how much more would he not give you all things? This call is not for strong, brave warriors. It's for humble, faithful worshipers. You notice that both Peter and Gideon, when, when, when they encountered that when Gideon encountered God in that way, when Peter got into the boat, it says he worshiped. Gideon worshiped, their eyes fully on Christ. So, so not a call for brave, strong warriors. It's for humble, faithful worshipers with their eyes on the cross. So this morning, let me ask you this. Where, where do you need to say yes to God this morning? Where's God reducing your army? Where, where has Jesus said, come on out, come step out, jump out of the boat? Where has he called you to risk in faithful obedience? It begins with that humble place of, of, of faithfully surrendering, saying, Jesus, save me. I, I have nothing. I, I need to surrender to you. That's the life of a Christian. It's, it's seeing and loving and submitting to, to Jesus. It's that day-by-day -day step as we're walking in step with the Spirit, submitting our life, giving up our control, waving the white flag of, here's how I want my life to go, and saying, I want to submit to you. I want to live my life because I believe in your promises and your character. As the worship team comes up, and we're going to celebrate communion this morning. Let me just end this way. As you submit your life to this, as you say, I, I, want, I want to humbly submit myself, we need to always keep both of those together. Sometimes we can say, okay, I'll humbly submit. I'm just going to rest in Jesus. So I'm just going to just trust in Jesus this morning. 
I'm going to rest in him. I'm not going to do anything radical. I'll just, I'll just hide out. I'll huddle up. I'll wait for Jesus to come back. I mean, I'll go to church. I'll give a little money. I'll even serve in kids' ministry if you want me to, Lord. But God, at the end, I just want to, I just want to die at a nice old age, maybe even pass away in my sleep, and then wake up in glory and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's not the life of a Christian. When, when we see Jesus, we jump out of the boat. We smash pots, we light up lights, we, 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 we blow trumpets, we worship, and we move, and we see God at work. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you so much for the grace that you've poured out on us. Lord, that we would be able to, to not have to worry that it's in our strength that we accomplish anything. But we come as those who were lost <clears throat> who were blind, who were your very enemies, and yet through your cross, you redeem, you save, you change, you're sanctifying, you're sending us out as ambassadors for the same gospel, for those who are lost like we were. So God, we come humbly, we come faithfully. Lord, we pray with an expectation because we believe that your promises are true and your character is true. And so, Lord, I pray even now, if there are those here this morning who, who feel like, man, I've been hiding out in a boat. God's called me to step out. He's called me to step out where I am, to be the missionary at, my, at the place he's got me, to, to speak out or, or to care for people, to, to express the gospel in my words and in my actions, and, and I've been hiding out. Lord, I pray that this morning even, God, you begin to make that call even more clearly. But, Lord, more than that, more than that, that we would see you clearly, that our eyes would be lifted to see the greatness of our God, the creator of the universe, the one who says, I love you, I've chosen you, and I've called you to mission. I pray this in Jesus' name.